I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Words podcast. I'm joined today by touring professional Charlie Ford. Uh, Charlie's won on the Challenge Tour, played in European Tour in 2018. And I just wanted to get Charlie's thoughts on uh, Winged Foot recently, uh, this past week, and, and how Bryson won there. And maybe a little bit of overreaction from, from people as, uh, as to where golf's going at the moment. Charlie, welcome. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I just wanted to get sort of a, a professional's view, really, because I think there's, um, you know, separating Bryson the person and Bryson the player uh, seems very difficult for some people. And I think most players, uh, well, majority of players would probably just accept that he's just been brilliant that week, hasn't he? Um, whereas there's a lot of fans and a lot of people upset because of the way he's won. Um, and I think there's probably just a bit of a misconception of what he had to do that week to, to get it done. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think when most professionals sit back, that there will be some that will go against what I'm about to say, but uh, the majority, I think, will sit back and appreciate that in order to win such a big event, man, such a difficult golf course, you've got to do more than just hit the ball a long way. Approach play, your short game you put in is so important on these in these big events, and I just think that people just see the fact that he has changed so much hype around how much he's physically change, change his action, change his swing in order to hit the ball far and kind of taken away from the ability that, that he has through the rest of the bag. And I think also he's obviously a very divisive character and I think that's an easy thing to kind of lump together and people are almost rooting against the character as well as the way he's playing the game rather than if Rory played like that that week, I'm sure the reaction would have been a hell of a lot different. Well, that, that was exactly what I'm glad you said that because that was the, the way I was going to go really not to pick on Rory for any particular reason but I think that if you know if we just look at the actual strokes gain numbers so Bryson ranked third in strokes off the tee third in approach second uh, around the green and 18th in putting uh, gaining five six six five you know strokes in each of those categories uh, if Rory had done exactly the same thing there wouldn't be this massive call for um, you know for for a change. I don't think. I think that the thing that really got up people's noses, I guess, is because Bryson's quite forward in saying it. When he was asked, you know, is he going to rein it in at winged foot because you can't blast driver over? He said, well, no, I'm just gonna I'm gonna hit it because I know it will work. And and everyone was sort of laughing at him. And and I and I for one thought he was going to come unstuck a bit. I thought you know he's he's brave and bold by doing it. But I think the the part of the mastery of him and the brilliance of him is that he will just stick to his guns. And if it doesn't work out, he'll face the music of that. Yes, definitely. I think that the way he has approached the game, I know he does a lot of work with uh, Scott Fawcett and the decade. It's very mathematical. And not only the way he tries to play the game, but also the way he uses his course management. And if there's space to hit driver, he's, he sees no reason between hazards, then he's going to hit driver. Because I've read a lot of his that sort of stuff and they'll say that three wood isn't that much straighter than driver so then why would you lay back because if you can gain more than 20 yards and be in the rough strokes gained wise that means that you're better off being in the rough and getting the ball in the hole quicker from there than you would be in the fairway 20 plus yards further back and I do think that it's the way that he comes across it is that that sort of brashness and confidence in what what he says that that rattles people I think a little bit I remember watching the first nice coverage nothing against Wayne Riley at all but I remember him calling he's going to shoot five or six over he's going to take this on this isn't the way to play the course which is probably the mindset of most people looking at it 
pre-tournament thinking this is this is not the way to tackle such a difficult difficult course but he's plotted it out I mean I imagine so much meticulous work has gone into his pre-tournament strategy and then he's he's stuck to his guns and he hasn't backed down he hasn't changed when the pressure was on the most at any stage if he it started well or in a round or poorly in a round. Nothing changed. He seemed to stick to that same same strategy and just worked it out pre-tournament and he went right through with it and had full belief in what he was doing and no need to weigh the one bit. Yeah, and I think I think there'll also be an element of, of people kind of pinching themselves a bit on on not taking the same tactic because um as we'll get on to a little bit later, I mean his his actual figures for the most part weren't actually that different to Ogilvy's profile when he won. I mean, Ogilvy actually uh, ranked right up there in terms of driving distance the week he won. He was over 300-yard average. It's not like he he sort of plotted his way around and took iron off every tee and things like that. You know, he had to get it a long way down there. And I think a lot of the things in the commentary that we heard as well was kind of like when they were in the rough and they were advancing it to, to the front of the green or short or whatever, they were like, ah, oh, that's a brilliant shot. It's the best they can do from there. And then Bryson would put one pin high. And and it would be like, well, that's clearly not the best they can do from there. He he's found a way to to get it there. He's mustered it from the rough. Okay, he might only have a wedge in as opposed to some of these guys hitting seven or eight iron. But like you say, he's, there's been so much meticulous preparation going in there. And he's mentioned Scott Fawcett there. I mean, he's got another player on his books, is Will Zalatoris, who's playing really well at the moment as well. And it's clearly. You know, I don't think it'll ever take over. I think that people get worried that the feel element of golf is going to completely disappear. But you know, the, the been TrackMan has been a, a massive uh, evolution in the game as well. I mean, people are coming out better prepared before they even step on the course. And I think don't just get mad at Bryson for doing it. The whole game is is evolving as as it should really as we're getting into the future. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I think the way the game has evolved, I think that's in the TrackMan side of it and all the whether it's scientific or mathematical analysis of previous rounds and shot link and all that sort of data, I think that's why you're seeing so many of the young guys coming out ready to play straight away because they've been at, this has been available to them for so many more years, probably as many years as, as some of the young guys, as many years as it has been for some of the seasoned professionals. Um, and they're just they're ready to come straight out into the pro circuit and play because they have their strategies. They, have, they know it's worked for them. There's no need to change. Um, and I think that's where not they are great players as well, obviously. But where you see like Colin Malkow coming out and straight away looking straight at home on tour, winning quickly, obviously winning the major in his second season. And um, I think there's that group of guys of that age group now. I would have always said previously, and I suppose the things you'd hear on tour is that they'll need a year or two to adjust to to life on tour and playing on tour and the difficulty of the courses and stuff. But the way that they're they're college lives or amateur careers are now all the said data and analysis that's available i feel like there's streets ahead of where guys were as rookies 10 15 years ago and that's probably only going to continue that way is in wider success and as the game is is as it is now i don't see that that changing yeah absolutely i think i've, I've said it on an earlier podcast with someone that that as you say they that you keep hearing this thing about they're they're coming out better each year and and more prepared to win what I don't think they're coming up better. I don't think there's a sudden change in talent level. I think it is, like you say, they're just better prepared. They they don't have to guess anything. So, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it's a, you'd have to learn your distances or how to get to a certain distance or swing speed or whatever. Uh, it was a lot, not guessing work because there was instructors there to help you, but the, the data wasn't quantifying it, was it? Whereas now, 
you know, for, for three or four years in college, however long you stay, you've got all that support there. And and you're basically a professional golfer before you even did turn professional. I mean, Bryson was basically prepped to be a professional way before he actually turned it. I mean, he, he I think he finished fourth in, as an amateur in a tournament anyway, as it was. Yeah, and I know that I had a very good friend who played through college against him, uh, Greg Eason at, at UCF. He used to be a close uh, a college that played in the same conference, and they used to play a lot of both, I think, top three or four in the college at the time. And he said he was doing things like that back then. I mean, it was... It, like the the length of clubs, the way he approached it, all the all his irons being the same, he had it all back then. He's just gone through a slow evolution through it all, and he was no doubt about it. He was ready to come out and and win or to compete straight away. And then in recent times, I think he's just looked at it and thought, okay, how, how what from a strokes gain standpoint or from a um, pure data analysis standpoint, how how's how am I going to improve, and what is the easiest way for me to make? such a jump and it's very difficult to to ever gain consistently gain a shot shot and a half on putting or approach play or wedge play uh, around the greens and i think that if you have the capability to do it off the tee distance is the is the easiest way to gain strokes against against the field and he's obviously looked at that and that thought that's his that's his way gaining which is i think he averages over a shot now per round gaining off the tee and that's the biggest leap you can probably make in the game the other ones would be such a long process it'd be interesting to see if he can keep continuing to hit it further and further and whether he continues to go down that route it sounds like he's going to but i do think that he sat back and thought this is the this is the best way and then the way he must have dedicated himself to change the golf swing like he has slightly in order to hit the ball the way he is now a lot like a lot less loft on the driver hitting up on it a lot more but then obviously his physique as well is is going to help him the amount of mass he actually has on him and I think I, I would say, as an individual, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of Bryson, the personality that comes across on the and through the media and on television. But I have nothing but utter respect and probably admiration, really, for the way he's he's transformed the way he wants to play the game. And hats off to him. And last week was as a win was that was thoroughly deserved. Yeah, and I think I think the thing was is that uh, I mean I think I try to defend Bryson maybe personally a bit too much just because I think sometimes people get, they can't quite separate the difference between him being you know he's had his moments he's had some really bad moments that look terrible um but I think I kind of remember when he first came out and and he'd give he'd be asked a question in a press conference about his certain approach or the air density or the, the way he was sort of sourcing through his balls to see whether they're all you know, equally balanced or whatever it was that he was doing and he just got mocked he just he just got laughed at mm. and, and people just didn't believe what he was saying and and I think there was some of it that I think you know, does he believe that? Does does it actually make that much difference? I mean, he was talking just before Winged Foot about um, that it wasn't even the air density. It was kind of basically saying that you know between it was a it was an evolved version of of a cold and hot day and how far the ball was going. He said perception versus reality and things like that. And and I sometimes just think that he's now not saying these things because he's just thought, well, if, if you're just going to laugh at it and 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 you know, and not really understand it, then then what's the point of me going into that? And I think now he's lost that the little bit of charm that he had when he came out trying to trying to justify it. Or well, now he's just like, look, it's going to work, and and you just wait and see. And I think that's what's really pushing people off of him. Yeah, and I think probably that same way as people fans watching as also professionals, they see when someone comes out doing things very differently, everyone instantly thinks 
no, that's that's not going to work. That's not how we've done it for five, ten, fifteen years. That will never that will never happen. Um, but there's stuff he talks about the difference in the temperatures and things. I mean, guys are out there working that out. They'll have trackmans out before rounds if it's altitude or if it's cold or hotter and trying to get used to how far the ball is going to go that day. He's just done it to the nth degree, and which is the way he seems to go about all, all of his processes. I think that's now people are realizing that what he a lot of things that he, are, he is doing or has done previously are what players need to be doing. It's just that when it's new and different and everyone's looking over their shoulder thinking that, and it's almost like the, in, the instant reaction is to go, no, that can't be right because there's 150 of us out here doing this and you're the only one doing that. So there's no way. I mean, you'd see him on the course with, with his, like, if it's a track man or uh, foresight, whatever his uh, unit is that he's been using. Um, but he'll be taking it on the course, hitting shots. But then all of a sudden now, You'll see plenty of other players doing that during practice rounds. and He's definitely opened a lot of people's eyes up to what, what can be done and, and another way of looking at, at the game that people would have played would have said was played a lot differently 10 years ago. But I'm sure the older players were still, they know when it's cold or heavy air at first thing in the morning or your altitude. They all know that it plays a difference and you're all making adjustments all the time. He's just doing it statistically or with data. So it's, there's no room for... No room for doubt. And it, when he plays and when he talks, he gives he gives off the impression there is zero doubt about what he does and what he's doing. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, isn't it? It is just a case of he's doing what everybody else. I think you put it really well. He's he's doing exactly what everyone else has been doing for years. He's just doing it right to the the, the final minute detail, and he's got the data to back it up. So whereas some players will go out, and this isn't a, a mark on any other players really, but some players will go out and they go, right, oh, it's a bit colder today. Um, you know, I need to hit one club more or I need to, you know, if it's hot, I'll take one off and I hit a free win instead of a driver. That, that's kind of how they gauge it, whereas he's going, well, this, this is the exact uh, data point to it. This is the exact yardage it's going to affect, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and he gets to that final thing. And I think what I think also gets lost is how good he was before this all happened. I think that's because people just see him as this, this robotic guy that can just mash it off the tee now and, and it will come together if he can putt one week, and and that's not the case because, you know, he's he he's won a US amateur. He he won four times in 2018, much before he bulked up. And really, what derailed him in between then and now is is try to change his putting style, and it didn't work out at the time. But again, it looked ridiculous. Everybody mocked him, but he stuck with it all the time, trying to make it work until he realised it didn't, and then he made a change again. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. The people have got the short memories in that sense of how good he was before. I mean, I remember, was it two playoff events he won at the end of one of the seasons and was unlucky not to win the tour championships, I think. And yeah. um, I think that that is forgotten. When he first came on tour, I remember doing very well early, or for a rookie, so to speak. And then I remember it vividly being the putting. He was using like the saddle putter, putting. He was trying all sorts, which again was that same sort of mocking of it. But he felt that was going to be a way forward for him it obviously turned out it wasn't but now he has found a style that I'm sure so many players would get close to trying and would feel either very uncomfortable or would not really buy into how how it could work but every time I watch him put I mean it looks so solid it's I mean it's not the way I personally stand to a put and hit it and um like the more that it's like watching a in another sport like a like watching Tiger Woods I feel like it's watching Roger Federer play and it's more just easy on the eye and looks good whereas Bryson's is just methodical. This is going to work. This is straight up and down, straight back, straight through. And with his lines and that he uses, I never really ever see that ball not rolling end over end. And it looks impressive at 
as always on TV coverage, you, you, you're seeing the best, the best players that, of that week, which normally entails in them hitting it the best and putting well. You're not seeing the other guys in the field who are not doing, the, doing that, but the big guys get a lot of coverage. And since lockdown, he has been arguably the biggest draw for most of the events. So you, we are seeing him on good and bad days. And every time I feel like he, he just looks rock solid with that, with that method. And I'm sure there'll be guys at home tinkering and trying to get something close to that and seeing if they like it. Whether it catches on, I'm not sure, but it certainly looks looks great in his hands when he's doing it. Does it make you think about your own game? Like, would you ever go to the arm lock party or you know whatever it is that he does there? Would would that be something that you would try and practice with just to see if it works for you? Because I think that people are trying it, not realizing how to make it work, or just dismissing it very quickly and just and just giving up with it. Whereas I think if if people persevered in the same you know amount of time that he did, eventually it may work for them as well. Yeah, I, I think it's. Um, I think a lot of players. It depends, obviously, individually what is your strength or not. Look, for me personally, I've always considered myself to have a very robust stroke and be pretty solid on the green. So it's, I'm not one to tinker much. I remember in the past when left hand below right was kind of like a new thing. I did try, tried it. I instantly felt so uncomfortable. And um, if I wasn't a particularly confident putter before, then you have to get through that uncomfortableness in order to get to where you want to be if you know that is going to be the the method you need to use but because I felt so comfortable previously as from an individual standpoint I was quite happy with the way I I was going um about it with my stroke and I often think that for me that's that's one thing that very rarely gets off so it's more the reading than and the speed of the greens but for somebody who had struggled on the greens I think a great example of that is is Webb Simpson as well I mean he was once the belly putters were banned. I remember listening. I listened to him on some podcast talking about it. And he was like, it was almost thought that was going to be the end of it. And he he tried the short one and really struggled. But once he got past the initial phase with the arm lock, I mean, he's got to be he's up there statistically one of the best putters on tour now. And it just shows if you, if for me that is a method. I I like to use a not mine's the normal length putter, but it's I'm trying to use a very similar method, like a left wrist that doesn't break down. Um, like a Steve Stricker-esque, he's a high left wrist, doesn't break down, very solid, controls the face, and that's just an extended version of it. And then where the arm lock would be, and then Bryson's obviously a, a bit more extreme of that arm lock, and it it just looks like it's unbreakable. It's, it's same way as um, in a similar fashion, Alex Norman when he was doing so well, he had the left below right, but it was such a strong shuffling that. It was so locked in the left arm and the left wrist that it just looks like the face has very little rotation going through, and it's hard to see how that ball isn't going to start pretty close to where where that putter face is aiming. Compared to when, like I say, I watch Tiger and it looks like it's like an artist, but there is so much rotation going on that he's obviously been an unbelievable putter through the years. But it always looks it's more artist at work and feel at work rather than something that's just pure methodical time after time should repeat itself yeah and that's the thing that people um that, that really don't like i mean when i compare kind of uh, you you mentioned it just a while ago about sort of the traditional and what people believe is right and and what is working now i always think back to 
um, the money ball situation in baseball where um, the guys were just focusing on base percentages and, and just worrying it was the Oakland A's and they took that kind of approach to, to winning a World Series and um, they, they got laughed at by the scouts, you know, that'll never work. You just need the guys that can hit the ball the best, etc., etc. Um, and also you hear about it in, in kind of the American football and things like that now as well, where it used to be, oh, it's a runner's league and you can't, you can't rely on a quarterback to throw X amount of passes and things like that. Things just evolve. And and if you don't keep up with the times and and you just mock what someone else is doing when it clearly is working, that's that's the thing. It's not like he's trying to do something and it's not working. It, it, there's proven results. Why are you tr- why are you so against it? And and not only that as well, but I don't think there's actually that much difference. Um, I think there's it's a, a lot more of a like you say not robotic, but it's kind of a fixed approach and it doesn't look the best and, and it's taken a lot of feel out of it. Um, but but what he's actually doing in terms of hitting the ball further, something that people have been doing since since 2000 and, and onwards, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, everyone's searching for distance. Every time you ever go on a range at, at a tour and the, the trucks are there, everyone's trying to drive. Can they get another two yards, three yards, four yards? The next new driver, does it go a bit further? He's just gone about it in a way that he's been very open with how he's gone about it. And then it's been slightly different to other people, although... You would argue Rory's tra- physical transformation went from was quite uh, different in terms of his body shape to what it is now, and I'm sure during that period he picked up a lot, lot more length through that. I mean, I know he always hit it quite a long way, but then to go to the next level of being basically the longest guy out there at the time to- in the last few years, and yeah, just see that he's gone about it in such a diff- different way to most, or maybe just it's been more more analysis on it and more of a spotlight on it that it's what everyone's searching for he's just gone about and achieved it which is people have been searching for it and haven't got anywhere he actually has done something about it and he has got results to prove that it's not just a one week in the flash in the pan type stuff he's gonna he's gonna be up there now as long as he's fit and healthy I, I don't see how he's not gonna break into that sort of real top echelon player top five or ever in the world and because of the rest of his game is improving and that, that is going to be a big advantage for him off the team. And a lot of you say there is that Rory went through a transformation. I mean, Rory, this doc, you know, beat around the bush, he was, he was a chubby kid when he came out and, and there wasn't really much athleticism to him. He hit the ball pretty far, but it wasn't based on any strength at all. It was just his general body build, wasn't it? Um, yeah. and, then, and then he he toned up, went to the gym and, and he put on a lot of muscle mass and... And okay, he looks a lot slimmer than Bryson. I think Bryson just—I think what people don't like about Bryson is just how big he looks. Because when you look at the Brooks Kepka when he was on the Challenge Tour versus where he is now, he's—he's he's massively built towards it. And also, um, I don't know if it's also just a little bit of a smokescreen. Okay, well, we'll just take the attention off of what I'm actually doing uh, and put this persona out there. It's all about I've always gains and all that sort of stuff just to gain distance. I think there's there's an element of that to it as well because. I just, I don't think, you know, he averaged, was it 322 yards off the tee towards the end of last season. Um, Cameron Champ led it with 317 the year before. Um, Rory was 320 in 2018. And you can go right back to Bubba Watson, 2006 was 319.6. And he did that over 83 rounds. So he's obviously hitting it further than that as well anyway. Uh, Hank Keeney as well, 2003, 321 yards. So... The actual gain distance-wise isn't that massive. It's just I think it's just the approach, isn't it? So instead of going, okay, well I can hit it 
this far, it's I'm going to hit it that far every single time. Because when I was comparing it to 2006 winged foot, and Jeff Ogilvie was the sixth longest guy in the field at 306 yard average, uh, Bryson was the seventh longest person in the field. So it's not it's not like he's taken a different approach to what Jeff Ogilvie did. That both of them got up and down from absolutely everywhere when they needed to. Both of them put it to to pin high when they needed to and best out the rough. It's just that that Bryson did it in a way that was kind of a bit of it in the face and and against the grain, I suppose. Yeah, I think he, I think that's that's spot on, really. I, even when you go back to sort of the transformation that Tiger made, and everyone back then was, well, he's he's changed the game now. It's a sport now. It's a, now players are athletes, or he he set that that bar for everyone to try and try and get to because he hit the ball further than everybody and drove the ball, especially during his peak era, is far superior to everybody else. And I think it's just with the lockdown situation where he kind of was putting weight, he put mass on beforehand with Bryson had and coming back, it's like a, it seems that the focus was, was so big on it because he talked about hitting it far. That's all I'm going to, I want to hit it far from the start of the year. And I think that the focus was so intent on him then that that physical transformation was, was really shown and people were, were shocked by it. Whereas if like Rory transformed his, if you, if Rory changed that quickly, to what he is now from what he was as a, a youngster, it would probably have the same effect. His just went over a longer period of time to get to where he is now. Probably, it's probably a, a three-year process or so for him, I, I'm, I'm guessing here, but from what I can remember through that period, and it's not then in your face in the same way. And like you said, it's Bryson is standing on the tees and he's going to hit it, hit driver, and he's going to hit driver a lot. And whereas I feel like in the past, everyone who had that power, and that power has been... Players have had that power for, like you say, for a lot of years now. But then you see a lot of the longer guys trying to hit the fair, just hit the fairway, so that they'll be pegging it down, trying to hit like squeezy, spinny cuts out there. Which I would say I've played with guys who who would hit it a lot further than me personally, or would have swing speeds in excess of 125 to 130 miles per hour. But yet, when they're out in the course and they're hitting off of a lower tee, kind of really hitting down and spinny shots, they're negating all their speed. It's coming back to with the spin rates, it's coming back to someone like me personally. I'd be in the 118 to 120 category, and if I was to play with these guys, but I could hit it off a normal, you know, normal height tee, not hitting it too spinny, you could end up being past them the same way as like Matt Wolf was kind of hitting it a bit past Bryce in the last day. You might not have the same swing speed at times, but if you just get the right combination of launch angle and spin, you can you can catch up with some of the guys who are just trying to get it in play. Whereas Bryce now, I think in in general terms, taking the approach that I'm just going to tee it high, I'm going to launch it high, I'm going to hit it hard pretty much everywhere and accept the fact that my dispersedness is probably, I know through the decade, Scott Fawcett stuff they talk about, like 65 yards dispersion off the tee, can I fit that in? And it's basically potluck, which one of the, is it going to be down the middle or 20 yards left of that target within those parameters? And he's just taking that approach if it fits in and I'm okay with that, that anywhere really. So, Whereas a lot of others would probably previously would maybe certain holes that looked a little bit tighter would go for like the peg down, squeeze it, get it in play, sort of shot off the tee or even club down and negate the power that they had. Whereas he's now trying to use his power in a when it when it's allowed, he's using his power to to the maximum he can. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that sums it up pretty well. I think he is just he is he's got a tool. He knows it works for him, and he's going to use it whether you think it suits you, you know, suits or not. Um, he knows he can rein it back in if he needs to, but 
generally speaking, most time he tees it up, he doesn't have to. Just on a on a personal note, so obviously you turned professional in 2009, coming out of college at, in Tennessee, you know, teammates with Chris Paisley there, who's been on the podcast. And do you think your approach to the game has massively changed in the last decade in terms of how you feel like you need to win? Obviously, you know, a lot depends on the form that you're in, your you know, the course that you're on, etc. That's that that will never change. But do you think you've had to because you won on the challenge tour in 2010, um, you know, very quickly, do you think that that anything's had to change to to do to achieve that success, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Um I think personally when when I came out as as a pro there was in terms of, especially when you look at kind of the where the track man or the statistical side of things that there wasn't it was around but we did obviously we kept statistics and it was looked at but the the track man side of things was uh, very little use of it and cameras of swing looking at swings and knowing really what i did was i kind of handed that handed that all to the coach and there was no sort of uh, management for myself self-management if i was away for a long period of time whereas guys now and but that uh, was great for me because i was probably at that age i was very naive but I, I just knew what worked for me and i didn't have to I didn't look to anybody else. I just listened. The coaches said, do this, do that. And I, I would just follow that. Um, unfortunately, trying to play in Europe with a coach who at the time is in, is in America, that wasn't great. So then I think if I had a bit more um, sort of analysis, analysis of, or a bit more sort of knowledge of my own capabilities and swing mechanics at the time, I probably would be able to handle my, my uh, sort of up and down nature uh, of the career a lot better through those, especially those early parts. But, in general, I don't think the game really is that much different now to probably that when I came out in terms of, I just think the level of players has increased and the, the amount of players who have increased. I remember coming out that first year on the Challenge Tour and um, I probably hit the ball pretty much the same as I hit it back then. I, I wouldn't say I hit it any further with, especially my lines are the same and maybe a few yards further the driver, but not much in it. But I was, I felt coming out, I was considerably longer than most when I came out that first year, especially coming to Europe from America. In America, not some didn't stand out quite as much, but I would have said I was I was long there. But coming back in Europe, it really stood out. Whereas now, there's a lot of guys who hit it that distance. Um, just just more depth from that standpoint. So you've got to then find either more distance in order to separate yourself, or you've got to find other ways to do it. Um, that's what I I try to search for. Try to I would look at it from. A driving standpoint that I used to use, if, if I could take one side of the golf course out on, on any given hole, then that's all you needed to do. So that was happy to hit it as hard as you could. And as long as you could take left out on one hole, if you knew how to do that and knew how to not hit it right on another hole, you're always going to be in play. So then it just came down to short game strength and um, putting, which was a strength for me. Whereas I try to search in order to make other parts of the game kind of fly it better, can hit it. Could you hit it both ways? But it used to be very one dimensional. And I think actually in my sense that has gone against me. I should have probably stayed, not what the purists probably want to hear, but I should have stayed a lot more one-dimensional until you get to the level where that's you've reached your maximum at that, which which is something I didn't do and wish that I had a stuck stuck with that because I think once you get to that that certain level, it is whether or not you then can move on to the next to the next stage of getting high up in the world rankings. But you're at a, a stage in life where it's a lot more comfortable where financial side of things could be a lot more comfortable playing just a very simplified one-dimensional game and then it's only the the next level once you're in in that comfort zone and know that you're going to be the pressure's not quite quite the same as it is if it's to get a card or to keep a card or um 
play for your living in that sense. Because we've often had the debate with players on tour, lads that be around my level and, or guys on tour, and you see the top guys come to an event and they seem to play very, very aggressively. It's a lot of drivers off the tee, um, really taking the course on. And even as one small like, um, example, I remember speaking to Chris Paisley about it when he played his first WGC in Mexico. And yeah. prior to the tournament, he was like, He's a great. He's he is a great wedge player. So he was like, "This is playing to my strengths. I can just got to position off the tee a little bit, a lot of wedges. If I can get dialed in with the distances, it's, this is really like course that should really suit me." And he had, I know he had a great first round. But he said he was watching the TV coverage and he says, "I'm hitting iron on holes, and these guys are just taking driver going at the green, and I'm just can't even see that shot. I'm not used to seeing it." So the question we always talked about and with other players was. That the best players in the world, if they got to that level because they've always been that aggressive and always had that that aggressive nature and attitude to play in, and that's what's got them there, or did they get to closer to that level, to a level of comfort on tours and to close to winning, playing up maybe a little more conservative as in general most guys, I would say, on tour, their sort of strategy would be. And then once they got come tour, did they then go ultra-aggressive, ultra attacking and that's now why they've separated themselves at the, in the top echelons of the sport whereas I'd love to know I'd love to know that when you watch a, a Rory or a, even Justin Rose those guys you see in Europe playing you think oh, man he's taken he's taken driver out ev- everywhere around here and that's a it's a different way of lo- a way of looking at it I think there's, there's a couple of points I'd pick up there is obviously the first one is one of the things you probably focus on there was self-ownership of your own game so um instead of relying on the, the information being given to you from a from a distance from afar and through you know it couldn't be every week on the on the range or whatever you, if you'd had um a knowledge of your own swing and your own game you would have been able to build that in and i think that's a, a lot of what the players are especially you know as we go back to bryson as an extreme example he knows exactly how his game works doesn't he um yeah. but also like you say there about the aggressiveness i think it probably depends on the player doesn't it i think there's a i don't think there's a right and wrong or a one case fits all for a lot of people. I think that there's certainly a case of uh, if you know fortune favours a brave, and if you're bold enough, you will it will work out at some point. But I can I can imagine that when Justin Rose was missing 21 straight cuts, he wasn't taking driver out on every hole. It was only once he got a bit of form behind him that he was ready to do that. But then you look at a John Rahm who's come straight out of college and had a lot of success, and and Morikawa who's obviously brilliantly straight with the ball, but he'll hit driver everywhere because he knows he can hit it straight. I think that it. It obviously just depends on, um, you know, what you've got going for you and also maybe where you grow up and play your golf. I think that PGA Tour courses probably give you the, the, the chances to, to hit driver everywhere you go and, and expect you to hit driver everywhere you go, even if even if you do go into the rough. Whereas maybe on Challenge and European Tour, you you have to be a bit more strategic and, and if you do start blasting driver everywhere, you, you are going to come unstuck at some point. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think... You make a really good point there with it's where you grow up playing as well and what your your home surroundings are in that sense. So it's, it's probably, I haven't got statistics to back it up, but you look at a lot of South African golfers, they hit it a long way, basically, across the board. There's very, there, there are the odd guys who, who have, aren't that long, but across the board, they pretty, they're pretty long hitters. And I look every time I go there, every course, it's quite modern golf courses, so they're open to hitting the driver. They play a little bit of altitude, so it's... It, helpful to always hit a bit higher hit launch it up and 
it's sort of set up that way. The same way as in America, a lot of modern courses that have the room and you wouldn't have any fear when you're home to open your shoulders. Whereas a lot of courses throughout the UK, the old style courses and members courses through trees, um, if they're not those ones that are, I was fortunate probably in a way that the course I grew up on, you had a small set of trees each side, but then there's another fairway. So you felt like you had lots of room. Um, but then a lot of the links courses we're playing now or like I say very tree lined short golf courses you don't end up hitting drivers where you can just wail away on it you end up maybe a lot more two irons off the tee or positional strategical play rather than the like the open peg the driver up and have very little fear about it of the modern courses that you might see across like say South Africa or, or in America and I think that has a lot of a lot of bearing on what type of player you probably are uh, growing up and when you go home what type of practice you're gonna you're gonna be used to yeah absolutely and I think what the, the kind of point I wanted to to kind of highlight with with going on your own personal journey there was you, you haven't suddenly you know turned pro in 2009 and you're suddenly going well it's not like it was back in my day when I first turned pro you know it's not it's not it's not been a um overnight change is it? it's not suddenly that the ball's going really far and that's what you need to do this has been basically since 2000 even even before then like we we spoke off air that the length's always been rewarded hasn't it It doesn't matter whether it was you know the the longest guy out there was 280 yards the longest guy out there was 320 you know success will always rely on how if you can hit the ball further on any given week you're always going to have an advantage over someone and okay it may be um it may be bigger now i mean if you put webb simpson up against you know Bryson, um, but then but then Webb Simpson can hit a hybrid as as well as some people can hit mid irons. It's just it's knowing your own game and and sticking to it and and things like that as well. But I just think it just highlights really that you know that last week because Bryson did what he did to winged foot, it is seen as like well he's just overpowered a golf course and that that's rendered that golf course useless. Well it hasn't. He shot six under par or five under par, whatever it was, uh, and everyone else was level par or worse. Um, so the golf course held up plenty fine. Um, I didn't actually think the golf course was uh, as demanding or as exciting as I thought it would be. I know we spoke about it a couple of days ago that you know it wasn't built for the dramatics. I don't think, but you had to you obviously had to position it in the right place and you had to you know hit it pin high and and make sure you read the greens well. And that, that was another negative, wasn't it, on Bryson's that he was using the green book to, to such full advantage, and that's why people think he can't win at Augusta, but he'll just figure out a different way, I think. But yeah, I just like we say, I just I don't think there's a, a massive issue um with with the game of golf at the moment. I think that people the thing that people get hung up on at the moment is to par and you know how far over or under par you are. But at the end of the day par's just a number to me. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean a few of the points there quickly on like for me, from a personal standpoint, from the distance has been there. For, uh, when you go back through the years, the distance really isn't a massive, massive amount changed. I don't feel in that. There's just more guys now who can hit it further than there was years ago through the development of the trap man and the fitting of golf clubs, or alongside everyone becoming more athletic and knowing how to to get more power. So I think it's just becomes more highlighted because there's more players rather than just a just a handful maybe that it was 10 years ago when I first started out. Secondly, yeah, Wingfoot for me, I, I really, like we said, I really felt like it didn't have, wasn't a course that could really bring the dramatics into play. Just didn't, in terms of any water hazards really in play, as many out of bounds, there was no real chance for like a, a lost ball or penalty shots. And 
that's where for me the biggest swings can come or the, the shots that are really memorable become on those shots if it's the 17th of sawgrass and a guy hits it to a foot on the lap on 17 to to take a, a one shot lead up the last or davis love hitting it out of the trees onto the 16th at sawgrass to a few feet they're the shots because there's so much visual imagery around the holes that it just sets up for, for more drama whereas at wingfoot it was the green complexes were being really its biggest defense obviously the rough played a part in that but the biggest thing bryson did was when he when he was out of position he didn't compound the error by then missing on the side that would leave him no chance of getting the ball up and down he was i feel like his short game as you said with his strokes gained he he was right up there in the strokes gained but he was hitting chip shots that weren't the excessive flop shots or the, the ones that you just couldn't get within 20 feet of the hole because you're on the wrong side going down a slope. He was coming from this more simpler area and never felt like he had to do anything extravagant to get the ball close to the hole, whereas you'd see a lot of guys having to try and hit some outrageous flop shots or just shots that simply couldn't get within 20, 30 feet of the hole, and that was a, a shot gone. Um, the other point on the on the green books, I'm, I'm so probably still... Like I was saying, I'm putting that. I'm still very traditional in the way I put. My beliefs are more traditional in terms of the way I like to see it, just from what well, isn't. But I would be somebody. I don't like the green book in the sense that I feel there's real art in terms of reading. That's that's a real skill that should be have to be developed. But then I use a green book when it's available. So I'm very contradictory in that sense. That why wouldn't you have use something that if you if you're struggling with the eye to see it why wouldn't you use something that's telling you, okay, this is definitely going to go left to right. And he uses, I would use it personally more for just a, a guide on those ones that aren't moving too much. Is it going to move a little bit left to right? Is it left center? Is it right center? Really hard to tell, but enough movement that probably if you went straight, it wouldn't go in. Um, or you get those double reads from one side of the hole. You think it's right to left. The other side, you think it's left to right. It's nice to have something like that. That's, that's confirmation. And again, like I said, he's just taken that to the nth degree. He 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 works out. He does his he paces his puts how far they are, doesn't he? So he obviously works his stroke on how far back and through he's going to go, depending on the length of put. And then also the slope. He's going to he's going to use the the degree of slope. It seems like to to read his puts. How much he uses that and what he sees with the eye, only he could tell us. But it does seem like he uses a lot more of the the mathematical calculations of the slope and how much that is his break is going to be there rather than maybe like as tiger would always say painting the picture of how the ball is going to roll and go into the hole but so I, I, from a personal standpoint i think if you're a pretty decent putter you probably you'd always say oh i don't want green books i don't want arm locks i don't want you know the belly putters because you want everyone to come you want that your strength to outweigh everyone else's but if it's if it's an area that you're weak in you're going to find any way possible to, to get better and you can't hold that against any any player. It's the same for aim point. Um, personally, I, I think that's just, it's only my personal viewpoint, but there's obviously you've got to calculate how much slope there is with your feet. For me, I think my own, my own judgment is I can see with my eye but pretty well. So I wouldn't like guys to use that because if I think if you can't read the put with your eye, like I'm going to get more of an advantage. But <laughs> one of my roommates, Stephen Brown, who you've had on who's born in Portugal he's turned himself into a fantastic putter from using something like that and it's just something for more confirmation it's like that's why players bring a caddy in to read the putter every now and again for you 
you're just looking to take away any 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 doubt whatsoever. And I feel like the way Bryson approaches the game, plays the game, whether it's the green book, whether it's his strategy off the tee, he he is fully committed and has zero doubt on each shot of what is he believes is likely to happen. And as a golfer, if you can get yourself in that headspace, that is just such a, a, an amazing place to be. And the game seems so simple when you have have that clarity of mind. Yeah, absolutely. And that, there's a couple of points I want to go back to. Is One, like you say, if the green book's available, why handicap yourself and not have it? I think you're just being stubborn for the sake of being stubborn. Like, you know, it's confirm- if, Even if it's just confirmation of what you've already seen, if you want to read it first, go, right, well, this is how I see it. Look in your book, right, yep, yeah, I was right. Then, then great. And if you were wrong, then it's, it's great that you're wrong because you're saving yourself a shot, potentially, mm-hmm. aren't you? So um, I think... And the other point was, was aim point, which is what I was going to go to, is... This this is something that's been I don't know how this five six years whatever it's been going for in point maybe a bit longer than that um, but certainly it's come into the fold more over the last few years but everyone talks about uh, Bryson being slow on the greens with his green book and things like that but you know Dustin Johnson's one of the fastest players in the world from from tee to approach but when he gets onto the green that takes him forever I think yeah. to, to 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 work that putt out. Um, I think he's very methodical with it. I think Justin Rose is very methodical with it. You can't, you can't focus on how slow he is and how Bryson is on that area of it, and then just ignore how everybody else is because it doesn't matter if you know if he was brilliant from tee to approach in terms of speed, but then slowed right down on the greens. It, it's kind of you know six or one half a dozen ever, I think. So that was that was my personal point of it. And another point I wanted to go back to, and this just will tie into where we're going to next is. Um, we spoke before and you were saying that how Bryson played his chips at winged foot, he didn't have to, there wasn't a case for or a need for the elaborate flop shot. Um, and, and you likened it to, to Tiger in his prime that he never had to hit any of these flashy. I mean, I, I come back and said, obviously the, the master's chip that he made was, was one example, but generally speaking, he didn't have to do such a dramatic shot, did he? He, he made it very simple for himself. Whereas Mickelson was playing flop shots out of nowhere to recover all the time. And yes, that's very entertaining, but You'd rather have the stress-free chip uh, as opposed to, to trying to play the the 1% shot that you can do. And, and that's it, isn't it? And, and that's what he's focused on. I mean, the the one thing that has been criticised against him more than, than anything, I suppose, is that he hasn't got any feel, Bryson. But he showed plenty of touch around the greens when he needed to on, on Sunday. Yeah, I think that's a, it's one of the most, like, sort of, I feel, undervalued parts of the game. It's... And, Normally, to win a golf tournament, you'll you'll be leading or very close to lead on bogey avoidance over over the week. Now, obviously, to be leading the tournament, you're more than likely hitting the ball very well. All de- all departments are probably going pretty well, but every player hits plenty of bad shots in a golf round. Like you'll hit ones that are way off target, line off the tee, or complete misses into the green. But it's the where you miss is is crucial, and that's where Tiger in his heyday was for me, was was far superior to... Uh, Mickelson was obviously number two for so many of those years. But Tiger, he, there is moments where his whole flop shots and he's hit miraculous shots, and there's no denying he had those in his locker, but he just didn't seem to require those in the regularity that Mickelson did, going for absolutely everything. It always seems like he's going for absolutely every flag that's there, and I don't think I've seen anyone hit full swing, 64-degree flops, wide-open face that go like six yards more than he does, and... He is. He probably has the arguably the best shot game there is, but he has to take the low percentage shot on so so many more times than 
than Tiger was, and I feel that's probably where he managed to differentiate himself, and that's where Bryson did that last week. But yet, still to hit those shots, you've got to have good touch and feel, and especially when that when the pressure's on. And if he was, it wasn't in the lead going into the last round, and there's pressure early on. I remember the, there was a par three. Wolf hit it miles left uh, with a hybrid, the third hole, I think it was, and Bryson missed it in the worst spot possible and Bryson hit it short right with an iron just in the rough and Wolf hit, did hit a miraculous shot to get it to sort of 10-12 feet which another day could easily come short in the bunker or gone to 30 feet is one of those that he probably wouldn't have got it that close with another 10-12 balls there and whereas Bryson had the simple simple looking chip up the green but he, he chips it up there to tap complete tap in and you, you have to still have a strong skill set in order to hit hit those shots and um, it's the round of greens is the trickiest part to gain a lot strokes gain wise during the week because everyone's level of short game is pretty similar. Like that's the the crux of it. Everyone's very very sharp around the greens. Everyone is very good, which is why it's very difficult to to separate yourself in that department. But you have to be at a level, a very high level, in order not to lose ground to to everyone else. It's it's and it's it is underrated, but it's underrated in where you're hitting your your short game shots from and whether. You're, whether you're having too many in a round where you simply just cannot get it up and up and down unless you make a 30 40 footer yeah to, to summarize really is course management and mentality isn't it they're the two most <clears> important <throat> things throughout a round and they're they're not quantifiable by a statistic are they i mean no one managed the course better than bryson and no one had a better mentality than bryson did he he stood toe to toe with wolf on the final day i mean obviously wolf was he's 21 years of old years of age playing in his second major um bryson's but Bryson was still new to it. He's the first one that he really had a chance to win. So uh, he just he just was in a better place mentally. And, and next time, Wolf might be too. It's just it's just one of those things. I think where he focuses so much on everything that he does, because he's so concentrated on that, he blocks out all the kind of things that can go wrong because he's he feels so in control. He's so at peace with his own game that that kind of helps and lends to himself. But that, we'll, we'll move completely off Bryson now because I think that everything we were sort of talking about sort of comes back to him and. Don't want to give him too much airtime as much as much as we really appreciate what he is doing. But let's go more general about the, the actual game of golf and where it is at the moment. And um, we we've been talking, haven't we? And and I just don't think there's a crisis. Like, I, I just I don't I don't think there's a massive issue. I think that if if golf was played exactly how it is now, um, it'd be fine. I thought I find it entertaining. I think that. It still depends week to week who's going to win a certain course. Like, you know, we see it with the Ryder Cup, you know, the Golf National. America had no chance because they're just not used to that kind of setup. Augusta, the same people play well every year. And we're going to see that in November and maybe that'll be different. But um, how do you think, do you think, if, if anything, what would you do to, to courses to, to change uh, the approaches that these guys have got now with, with the long hitting? I think if. I personally come from the standpoint that the long hitting, I don't have a, um, any negative sort of real viewpoint towards that. And I think it should be embraced. I mean, the way if you go and watch these guys hitting driver, I mean, the, the top 20 longest guys, I mean, you stand behind and watch them. It is seriously impressive. It's not, it's a skill that people just think it's an easy thing to do because it's a bigger head and they, they swing it really fast. It's a, it's a real simple skill, but it's, it's a skill that's really unappreciated in terms of how difficult it actually is to consistently hit a driver that far every time it's obviously easier now than it was a lot of years ago with equipment but it is still a skill that is that gives a wow factor and it's something that when you play pro-ams amateurs 
they're always amazed by how far guys hit the ball. It's, they're not amazed by a 50-yard, 100-yard wedge shot that skips in if it's flighted or if it's in the air or not. A bit of backspin might might get them excited, but it's how far the ball goes. It, that's the that is the wow factor when when up close and personal with with the the guys who can who can really send it out there. And so if you want to negate that and bring back in the sort of the the the, the, the stereotypical historical look of a player who could shape it both ways, who could flight it, who was very straight. I think yes, you can have green complexes that are that are tough, but it's the firmness and the the speed of the of the greens that dictate. I think the first day at Wingfoot showed when it was soft, the scores were a lot better than when it's slightly firmed up as the week went on. And then you don't need the rough to be as as much as they necessarily had there, uh, where players can still get a five iron out of the rough or four iron to some degree or one of their hybrids and advance it onto the green. But if you have a little bit of rough, but the firmness of the greens, that is, you've lost the control. And then it's when you're in that, that rough of the half and half, is it going to fly? Is it not going to? That's when a lot of doubt comes in. That makes playing out the rough a lot more difficult. But the biggest thing, if you want to take driver and you want to make them hit it straight or you want to make them think a lot more about hitting driver, anyone who's long, if there's no chance of losing the golf ball basically off the tee, there is no intimidation factor for the for hitting driver. If there is water all the way up the left height or there's out of bounds or there is high rough, bushes, whatever it is where there's an extremely strong possibility that is a ball gone, that's when you make guys think. That's when they'll be second-guessing, should I be hitting driver here? Because there is a good chance one out of four times I might hit it in the water or I might hit it in the out-of-bounds and lose a ball. That's when you'll start to get guys to think a little bit more off the tee. Whereas if it's just if it's just rough or even if even if you've got courses that are extremely tree-lined where the trees are very dense and you can't you won't be guaranteed a shot and you'll struggle to, to get out. Maybe like a, the top of my head, I think of probably a, a Valderrama in that sense in terms of tree-lined that you might not have a shot. You might just have to pitch it out. Um, that's when you'll get guys probably reining it in or making them think think twice about whether it's just it's just tee it high and smash it as far as we can. And that's the way that I think if they want to if they want to bring the the guys that don't hit it as far back into the equation a little bit more then it has to be done through through the element of, of where penalty shots might come in because they, the short hitters don't hit it as straight as people think. They don't hit 90-odd percent of fairways. It's, that, that player just doesn't exist. I mean, the, they may hit on a season average 15% more fairways than, than the really long guys, which only equates to in a round of, of, if it's 14 drivers, for instance. I mean, you're talking two or three fairways, which if a guy's hitting driver that's miles and miles further down every hole that that's just not going to it's not enough to to negate the dif- difference in how far they hit the ball um, so if you need the sh- to bring the the average guys who, who aren't short by any stretch of the imagination but if you can want to bring them more into play I think their misses in general won't be probably won't be as wide as the long hitters so you you just need to take those real wide ones on the long hitters and make sure that they're they're going to be really punished in terms of an out of bounds or a, or water, and then that's when you'll get a little more um, fairness, supposedly across across the board. Yeah, it's a kind of a respect from the players, isn't it? They've got something to second guess, like you say. And whenever I think of um, you know, even firm and fast greens, obviously really important. But even just a firm fairway, if you've got a if you had a driver and suddenly you know you you, 
you're trying to shape it and and you, you miss hit it and it's going to run into that sort of dense tree area or it's going to run into a bit of water or it's going to even like a bunker like a pot bunker in an open for example you literally can't do anything out of if there is if there are those hazards in the way to to detract you from doing so then that's going to make a lot more sense because at the moment everyone says oh we're you know two events away from 8,000 yard golf courses well that is just pointless it literally is the worst thing you could possibly do for golf because that's what they did in 2000 isn't it that's what they thought that's what they thought they would need to do they needed to make it a bit longer so that the longest guys had to work harder for it and all it did was take the shorter ones out of the game uh, and make it a slightly bit more challenging for the longer hitters but they still got over it it's not it's not a big deal um you know, if, if you suddenly add 400 yards onto a, a golf course that Dustin Johnson's already won at, he's probably still going to be the favourite to win there because Webb Simpson is going to be 100 yards further out on a hole than than he wanted to be. It's just, it's going to ruin, it's going to ruin certain points of uh, of golf rather than than the other. So I think that, like you say, the hazards are really important. I think you know we, we spoke before that that even maybe having no rough would would maybe negate it because at least then the people that are further back have got a chance to go in it equals the playing fields but i think there's so many factors that go into what kind of golf course players like i mean i spoke to, to ted scott who's Bubba watson's caddy for people that don't know and i said we were sort of talking about different majors and he said that the reason he loves augusta so much is because the pine straw sticks out so much amongst the fairways that he knows exactly where the ball needs to go so he knows where he needs to avoid. Whereas when he gets to an open championship and he's got a blind tee shot and everything's the same colour no matter where you look, he's just, it's from a visual point of view and from a mental point of view, you just can't get over that. Now, if that can, if that can put off arguably one of the longest hitters on tour, that proves your point that if you just put something there that's going to throw them off, that's going to be enough to distract them from, from hitting a tee shot. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what Ted Scott is saying there in the sense that when it, when it's visually defined, if it's through trees or like he says the, the pine straw there, it kind of it dictates to your eye what shot you've got to hit. It makes you see the shot so clearly, and when it is blind, it's it's hard to eat. as many packs around as you have. You know what the line should be. It's still, there is that element of doubt whether it is any blind shot in that sense is is difficult. I, and I use another part of the game when you think if you've got a 50 yard pitch shot slightly downhill to the green where you can see everything exactly where you want to land it it's a pretty straightforward shot whereas now if you put a big bunker in the way and you can't see your landing spot all you can see is the top third of the of the flag that is a lot trickier even though it's the exact same shot in essence you don't got to do anything differently but visually it's affecting your feels because you can't see that landing spot the same way and it, it just becomes a tougher version of the shot than it than it is and i think that applies right through like, off the tee and most players, I would, I would guess that, and I've definitely included myself as one that once it is visually defined, I think of places in the UK, such as like woven through the trees, where it's telling you exactly where the ball needs to start and if it has to draw or fade, and it's so defined that the visual is so easy to make. Whereas I play at Royal Birkdale, and it's there's some holes where you could take over the corner of some dog legs. I've played it so many times, but yet you're never fully sure if it's on the fairway or not because you just the the angles and the and the lines because you can't see where it's going make it harder to hit that shot and that's where you end up probably playing a little more conservative off the tee with shorter clubs but it is that visual aspect and I think golf courses that are known 
it's the risk and reward element. If there's if there's risk involved that will punish a poor shot and then there's huge reward for an aggressive play, that's where you get the most drama and that's where you get the best best to watch. And I think that applies across the board. If you look at the best par threes, everyone remembers par threes. It's always the short ones if it's the postage stamp or the seventeenth or sawgrass. They're short holes but there's drama in them because yes, a great shot, you can make a what should be a reasonable two, whereas you can easily make a five, six or, or more on some of them. Um, and that's where drama comes from. And that's where I think that will get people off off their seats to watch it rather than courses that just don't just kind of blend on the eye and you maybe come away from them and not particularly remember many of the holes. And that's talking of par threes. I mean, the 12 foot Augusta is, I mean, people are basically putting that to what's ruined Francesco Molinari's form for the last, year or so because it's you know so many people right in the heat at the moment it's, it was a 155 yard shot um there's water in the front of the green there you know there's a, there's a hazard at the back there's this bunker at the front there's, there's so much going on with that hole that people are petrified to play you know a 150 yard shot that should relatively speaking not be that difficult and then the likes of tiger woods will step up and take advantage of that brooks kept would generally would would stick it down and, and not worry about it but you know it, it if it gets into your mind and if it is going to scramble with what you're thinking about because that we've i think we've kind of got to the point now where rough is just not going to detract anybody like no nobody cares about going in just average rough i mean it's different if you're going to like a wispy sort of like rough you know a, you know walton heath or so you know something like that or an open championship where it's kind of punishing and you can't advance it but if you're just coming out of just general rough bermuda whatever it, it there just isn't enough of an impact there is there to put people off doing it no i totally agree it's rough itself it, it's just there isn't any intimidation there isn't anything to make you second guess if you're in the right shot are you taking on on the right club and whether you should lay back or not it's 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 something that wouldn't even con, you wouldn't even consider because you know that you're going to hit the fairway on average 60 to 60 percent of the time for instance and if it's only going in the rough though I'll be able to get that around the green and you, you back yourself just to make a par from those situations. But when you're on the fairway, you can go for it. And it's just a non-factor in my in my eyes to what would constitute a great, great course setup. And like you say there with Augusta, on another note, I would say you mentioned Molinari and how it, that moment has, has really affected him and on a whole that shouldn't be, be much, but it visually under the most intense pressure when there there is history of people having problems there, it, it's going to it's gonna show up and it's be a hard thing to recover from. And I think that's, you could even put Jordan Spieth perhaps in that category. Yeah. And I love him and like listen to him, he's so honest. And I think that he had such a great junior, amateur and pro career right to that point where I don't know all the ins and outs, but I'm, it was all I've been on a very um, positive trajectory throughout his career that you kind of knew he was going to the top. And then that was a real big setback, probably the first major hurdle that he's probably come across in in golf where he may be second guessed and think oh, have, have I these things don't happen to me how uh, this am I am I fallible in that sense and I think that's that those knocks are, are things that can take people way off course and the um, it's the strong mental ones that mentally I'm not saying he isn't and I, I think he will come back but that was obviously a, a huge knock to him and it's been a it has been a struggle since then compared to the standards that he previously had um, and what he was previously achieving. so, But I think that comes 
their golf courses that just do that to players because there, there is Augusta has it where it has moments of if it's 15 and people can hit it on and make eagle and be a hero and then other times they'll they'll hit it in the water like Sevy's hit it in the water there and to going for it in two when he had the chance and you, you just think there's so they're the they're the they're the type of golf holes and golf courses that you want to I personally want to see great shots rewarded with hugely rewarded compared to a poor shot that if it causes if it's water and it, it you can have a two or three shot swing at the, in a in a heartbeat coming down the stretch and to hit those shots under the most intense pressure of the one to be aggressive to take the the risk on if you pull those off they're the ones that you just take your hat off and have to have full respect for players who can who can hit those shots and win tournaments on the back of them yeah absolutely when you talk about jordan spieth there and i suppose he's the maybe the the argument for rough still as a, a defense because um you know a lot of his struggles at the moment are him being wide off the tee aren't they you know he's not got complete you know control of his game there but he is getting into situations where he can't advance the ball he's getting behind trees he's, he's out of bounds he's you know that he is getting penalised because he is so wide, isn't it? It's not a case of he's missing fairways, you know, by five, ten yards and just advancing out of the second cut or anything like that. He is so wide that that that's why it's that's why he's so affected, I suppose. And and he's a prime example, isn't he? That if you know he was never the longest hitter on tour, he never has been. Uh, he's, you know, distance has never been a factor for him. What he was doing was, uh, you know, from a hundred yards and in or a seventy foot putt or whatever. You just believed he was going to hold it, you know. He just—he was just absolutely phenomenal. His confidence was through the roof. Um, he seemed to recover from anything. Um, and, and you speak about Augusta there. I remember to, again talking and, and watching about one of the Masters when when Bubba Watson won, and there was a point where Spieth was on fire during the first few holes. Uh, and I can't remember—I can't remember which hole it is, but I think it might be eight or so, the par five, where he hit a three wood, and he he sort of blocked it out right a little bit, and Bubba was just on the green, had a ch- an easy birdie putt, and, and Spieth was struggling for, for a par and even bogey in the end, I think, and, and that's such a momentum shift, and that that wasn't, there was nothing difficult about that hole, and it wasn't because Bubba had hit it longer or further, it's just because Jordan made a mistake, and, and those are the, the fine margins, and, and like you, going back to a really early point that you made, is that we only see the best shots in the coverage, there are so many people last week that that struggled tremendously on that golf course um, that you just don't see. I mean, there was people that were like forty and over par on day one. You know, it, it's it, you just you only see the best of the best, and, and unless you, I think that I think Shane Baker made a really good point that if you showed maybe a half an hour segment on the coverage of players just that were struggling and hitting bad shots, you'd come to realise how well the top of the leader what are performing. Yeah, without a doubt, it's our friends who go to watch tournaments and they they come away like kind of a mate. I can't believe these guys don't hit it anywhere near as well as I kind of thought they did because all I see on TV is five irons that are going to ten feet and people are holding it from everywhere. And yet, when if you actually if you're at a tournament, you watch the ones that are guys fighting around the cut line or missing the cut, you'll see three puts from four feet. You'll see shots that are so far offline that you can't fathom. And but yet. When you're watching the guys at the top or at the top of the leaderboard, they're they're not they're not hitting those shots. Or if they are hitting the odd ones, they're getting away with it slightly, or they've done it on the right on the right hole, and it doesn't affect them as it, it does the guy maybe hit it on the sixth hole out of bounds on the right. Whereas if he did it on the hit that shot on the seventh, he would have been okay, sort of thing. And it would make if you could see that, it would, you would appreciate, especially that when I look at the top sort of ten to 
especially the top 10, maybe 20 golfers in the world, the, the consistency that they show and they're up there week after week, they're, for me, the golfing quality from that, that guy is huge down to sort of top 100. You know, the, you can the, you can be very inconsistent and get to the top 100. These guys are up there every pretty much every week and it's a rarity you ever see one, it's rare that one misses a cut and it's rare that they're not somewhat sniffing around the lead and um, that's a, it's very impressive if you if you are to see like what does go on off off out of the main groups really. Yeah, so I mean I've been to been to a number of Open Championships and I've also been to Wentworth quite a few times over the years and I and I've seen uh, Podrick Harrington who's you know a major champion, multiple major champion, been you know best in the world at the time. Uh, I've seen him literally top a hybrid out of rough. Like he's literally, tri- he's just taken the wrong club. I've seen Thomas Peters get stuck in a bunker because he's been too aggressive. You know, you don't, you don't see these unless they're in the coverage, and you don't realise how penalising these areas can be. You know, Thomas Peters is one of the longest hitters out there, but he can't take Wentworth apart because there's so much strategy involved in that golf course. Um, and and I just, I just think that it's undervalued. I think because it, like you say, because it looks so easy, because these guys, because of Dustin's, Bryson's, Rory's. Morikawa's, you know, Rams, because they miss one cut, you know, every three or four months, maybe six months, whatever it is in some cases, um, they're just always playing really good golf shots. Even they might be missing the putts that are costing them the, the round. You, you just don't really appreciate just how well they're playing versus those that are struggling with their game. Yeah, without a doubt. It's just the consistency those guys show and it's the ability just to score. You know, that, I mean, that's anything that does matter is what you sign for at the end of every round and their ability on days when you think, oh, he's, he's really not hit many good shots there at all. Like people may say like Matt Wolf only hit two fairways or whatever it was on the Saturday and at Wingfoot and how's he, sh- he shot 65 and it's like, well, how, how, how has he done that? It's, it only matters about score and he's done it from, he's taken advantage of when he's been in play and then when he hasn't, he's managed his, managed his card really well. Whereas, the thing with the top guys, you see them on TV so often that you see the, you do see their, I would say you do see some of their poor shots, and you think, well, how has he got away with hitting that driver? And he's just bombing it down there, and he's going to whack it on the green. Where someone who's not in the coverage all the time, he was probably done that the first and the second round to get himself in the leaderboard. Now he's on TV, he might not play, he might play slightly better on the weekend, or he, he might not. But you won't see those all those poor shots that may have been there during his first two or three rounds before he featured on TV, whereas the top guys, you see so many of their shots um, that it kind of undervalues how well they play on a regular basis rather than one week being good and then not being seen for two or three weeks and then reappearing again. Yeah, and I think also, I think that there's a, a certain element of, of fans like to see golfers suffer. Uh, I think that's a real thing. I think that they want to see them hack out of rough or or come up 30 yards short because they've chosen the wrong club, or not be able to hold a green with a chip shot. Anything that they can see that someone can relate to. And when when Justin Thomas hits one 20 yards left, but still manages to hit the green, everyone's like, oh, well, that's, everyone just hits it too far and then just wedges it. There's no consequences. But there will be, like you say, there will have been six, seven holes ago, or the day before, or anything like that. It's just that he's played a really good shot at that time to recover. And I, I just think that... The, golf and speaking to guys like yourself and others that I've spoken to it is so difficult that even when you make it look easy that there was so much that went into that there was so much thought there was so much technique everything 
I just think that's really underappreciated. And, and to belittle golf to well, whoever hits it the furthest and wedges it on wins is, is just ridiculous at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that the shots that you see, guys, hit recovery shots you see them hit, whether it's greenside or whether it's coming out of out of the rough, it's the the skill in judging the lie, how the ball is going to react, how is how is it going to fly? Is it going to come out hot? Is it not? Is it going to release a lot once it lands? Is it not? Where can I pitch this and hopefully stop it if it is coming out hot? And there's so many things to kind of calibrate before those shots that yes, it looks like he might have just hit a a nine iron out the out the rough that's now gone to thirty feet. That's a really good recovery shot, but there's so much involved in in the reading of that shot and how to how to play the shot. How what's your attack angle going to be like and um, how what shape can I get out of this lie? There's so much that goes into that. Whereas it's not just as simple as oh, he's just blasted it out there and just hope for the best and it's he's got away with it because he's got such a short club. He's got to work out so much in in those in those shots and. Then it becomes a matter of course management, game management of where, if it doesn't come out the way I think it is, what is the next best option? And then most of the top players you'll see who are high up there, great short games. So it's okay. Well, I can get up and down from short. I can't get up and down from long. So if it doesn't fly, okay, I'll play the club that's going to come up come up short. I'm not going to take the risk that it does jump and go over the back, and I'll just up and down it from 30 yards and then make a par, and everyone thinks that it's just bombed it out of bombed it down there, whacked it out the rough in hope, got it by the green and then it's chipped and putted, whereas there's a lot more behind that thought process and in judging each shot for what it for what it is that's is is underappreciated, I think. Yeah, and you, we spoke about misconceptions of course so such. Do you think we've covered the main ones in terms of, you know, distances you know, you don't need to limp from the courses, particularly you just need to play hazards out there. Do you think we've covered everything that, that kind of you want to speak about in terms of course setup? Yeah, I think we I think we've covered Covered most points there, really. I just think with with course setup, yeah, it's just it people. It's happened for so many years on the Tiger era onwards that let's make it longer and longer, and that's going to make it it better. You got to you got to make the players think, and it the courses that make the players think, even if they're long or short, and there's hazards involved. As soon as you get players second guessing and thinking, you're going to see a mix of strategies. You're going to see a real array of golf shots, um, and you'll see, in my opinion, you'll see a probably more distance and on the leaderboard between the the top guys and, and the bottom ones rather than getting really bunch leaderboards that you see so often uh, on regular events because they're just kind of standard setups with with some rough and not not the the elements in play like a, a sawgrass perhaps has with water and um, augusta does with its with all its drama that, that can provide yeah and do you think also maybe the last point is do you think that equipment there needs to be any sort of you know looking at the ball and the golf club, or do you think because everything I hear at the moment is kind of like well they can only hit the ball this this far because of the 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 head how big the head is. I would have thought that whoever are the best drivers of the ball now would be the best drivers of the ball if you gave them a persimmon wood now as well. I think that it, there is a technique of you know required regardless of what type of equipment you've got in your hands. Yeah, I think that if you whatever the limitations are on equipment if there was or the ball was changed, you'll pretty much see the exact same world rankings at the top end. I don't think these guys are just better than everybody else. And they show that on a weekly basis, doesn't matter what course you put them on. Um, like I think we said off air with Bryson, you take him to Hilton head after lockdown, everyone said, there's no way you can play this course. It's all position. And yet he was contending to win the tournament uh, or he finished top 10, I think. And the top guys, you they'll find a way to win 
and be the best in the world no matter what the limitations are. From, from my point of view, I know there's a lot of talk about um, bifurcation on the board. I hate that idea. Like The beauty of the game is that everyone can play, whether you're a 28 handicapper and a pro. You can play together. You can play the same equipment and you can, well, theoretically, the 20 handicapper can beat the professional on any given day. That's the beauty of our game, which you can't translate that into tennis. You can't, I can't go and play Roger Federer in, in any <laughs> form and get any get anything against him. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't, no. wouldn't win a point. Whereas we could go and play golf and he could beat me on a day. And that's the that's the beauty of the sport. So I wouldn't like to see that change. Uh, I, I think there is a element of the driver head size that allows everyone to kind of swing a little bit harder, knowing that the misses aren't quite as as punishing as they used to be. But I would love to see sort of like a, a track mandate on sort of these top guys hitting out of the middle of the face. They'll hit it. The guys who hit it the furthest, they, they, they're hitting the ball. Their smash factors are off the charts like over the season. They're very rarely mishitting the golf ball. So if those heads were a bit smaller, they would still be more consistent and better than the guys 300 in the world. And I don't think you'd see much difference in, in terms of who is who's at the top. And I understand courses, they'll say that you can't keep lengthening them and running up, we'll run out of land in some, some courses that maybe obsolete now. But I just think that you could go to other courses. If the setup is right, you can have a tournament at, at most venues. I just think that you don't see the tree-line tight golf courses anymore because simply for a tour running the event, you can't get fans into those. You can't get big stands in. You can't get all the access that you want for spectators and so why would why would you go there when you you could fit like the Ryder Cup for instance at the Golf National you can fit as many people as you want and it's made for like a stadium course it's stands up everywhere why would you go to a course that's tight and tree lined and not be able to get the same sort of fan experience or the amount through the door for revenue in yeah absolutely and that's the thing we've just had the best example of of the length argument is Valderrama is sub 7,000 yards almost maybe a touch over at times it's and it's the hardest golf course you'll play all year on the European Tour you know it's just difficult it's just a hard test Hilton Head we've spoken about you know you do not need to be a long golf course to be difficult you just need to have something that makes the players think and going back to the purification of the golf ball like you say, like when we say that lengthening the golf course would just make it worse for shorter hitters, the only people that are going to get affected by the change of equipment and stuff is amateurs. You know, it, we, we're looking, I was talking to the guys at Arcos Golf a little while ago, and, and the fascinating thing is, is that actually driving distance for amateurs is going down on average. It's that we're not getting any, you know, longer and, and ridiculously long. It's not affecting our game. It was, the average was for a 10 to 19 handicapper in 2017 was, was 237. It was 234.8 in 2018 and 234.2 in 2019. So it's not it's only going one direction or stabilizing. So it's not it's not ruined it's if anything, you know, the pros obviously the amateurs want to hit it a little bit further. Um but the pros are not gaining you see all these adverts and the drivers gaining you 30 yards. The pros are not gaining that. They're just It's all about a comfort level and a feel, isn't it? If you like the way the golf club swings and the shaft and the shape of it and the way it looks and everything, it's, it's a mental thing at, at the pro level as opposed to a, an actual distance gain, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you listen to every pro, to every new driver that came, they felt they were hitting 10 yards further than they were. I mean, it's probably a new driver a year. 
you've got a guy like to is no way he's in 100 yards further than he was <laughs> 10 years ago. Um, but it's that feel that, oh, that is coming off a little bit quicker or it looks to the eye that it is just going a, a little bit further or the dispersion's a little bit tighter. And there are advances in in the equipment of what was big advances. Now I feel like they are very small and it's probably more down to um, tightening the dispersion and the, the miss hits. Are they still go? Are they going not just a dispersion, but they are also flying further than they, they were previously. And that's mainly what guys are looking for, I'd say, now in the new driver. You, you, you can say I've gained five yards or eight yards, or but that will be because you maybe hit a dozen shots and you hit a couple poorly. Yeah, but they're they're a little bit better than they were previously. That's the only gains the guys and you're not to start hitting the ball further. It, now it's it's you're going to have to equipment wise. I don't. I think it's kind of for quite a few years now. It's it's max as you prove with the the distances of the the longest guys on the PJ Tour going back for almost two decades that are hitting it as far as guys are these days. But it's just that there's more more players doing it and it is more frequent that. That guys are hitting it closer to those max yards. I just think it's it's kind of maxed out until you get to a stage where, and it'd be interesting to watch to touch back on Bryson. But <laughs> how far does he go with it? He's talking about the long drive guys. I mean, these guys are unbelievable to watch with the extra long shafts and they can hit so far. But you couldn't put them on a golf course and play like that. That was absolutely not not, not feasible. So that's none of them. I said all be on tour clearing up if they could. Um, <laughs> So there is that balance where you've still got to be able to keep the ball somewhat in play. So I think the game's in a in a great spot. There's so much at the top of the world. There's so many great players that I know you do the previews for weeks on on sort of looking at the betting side. It's so hard sometimes to pick. If I was it's impossible. To pick the top boys, you could make a case for every one of them winning an event. They're so good. They're so consistent. Like Wingfoot going into it, you could look at oh, Dustin Johnson's one. Twice previous playing great. John Mahon's been up there all the time. Justin Thomas is so consistent. Rory could always still naturally looks such arguably the best player. I mean, he doesn't do it necessarily on the, when it's a real tough setups, but you know, I mean, like there's all those players you can make a case for could be up there winning. And always a factor, yeah. That just shows that the, the game's got to be in a in a great place. And I think if you get the, a course that offers a little bit more drama than perhaps Wingfoot on the face of it would offer, I just don't see how people can't be excited to watch the game i'll just think and one of the points you've gone back to a couple of times is that the it's not that the longest have got longer it's that the average have got longer so we go back to hank keeney in 2003 321 yards bryson 322 this year so there's no difference between the longest hitters bubba was 319 2006 it is that the average uh in 2006 was 288 and now it's 296 the average has come up it's just the the other guys are kind of of making their way there, aren't they? And that is it. And just one final point. Do you think now, you know, we're talking about course setup, and they're already talking about oh, Augusta or panicking about what the course is going to have to look like in November or what they're going to have to do to prevent Bryce from winning. Do you think they really need to touch it? Do you think it can just be... What, do you think there's enough intimidation factor and enough respect needed for that golf course that they can just leave it alone for this November? Yeah, I don't see... I mean, it will be interesting to see it that time of year. It'll be the first time we've probably all see now it will set up them but do not I don't think at all they need to change on the back of Bryson winning one one major uh, he did kind of you could say it's a dominant performance but it's a golf course that is totally different to Augusta in terms of the setup in terms of the rough and, and the trees and I think that I always feel that watching Augusta is there's so much creativity to that golf course on your approach shots and 
it will be fascinating to watch Bryson's approach. I don't think I think they should just leave it as it is and see how he can he adapts to that and see how he how he plays it because. I've always felt that a lot of winners there have a lot of sort of artistry. You look at Bubba, Phil Mickelson, Tiger, you know, they're Seve back in the earlier years. And it's, you've got to hit creative shots. You've got to have fantastic imagination around the greens. I think it off, I think it is a course that I've only had the pleasure of walking around. I've never played it, but it's a course that so much undulation, so many ball above the feet, below the feet, down slopes. It's just the TV doesn't do justice to him. And I just think it, it lends its eye to, I would say, more the artist, more the field type player. So I'm really intrigued to see how Bryson will attack it and uh, and get on. But I just think they should leave it as it is. It always produces drama. It's so rare. I mean, I can't really remember like a, a dual Masters that I've ever watched. Whereas I did feel watching Wingfoot that it was it had that effect. And I don't think that was a lack of fans. I just think it was a golf course that, that wasn't really going to provide that moment of that would stick in the memory of is there a shot that's, you know, an iconic shot that we'll all remember or a two or three shot swing in the same same way that you can easily get Augusta and if not more in a stretch of three or four holes around there on the back nine. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the point, point you make there is you don't really get a runaway winner at the Masters. There's always, there always seems to be drama over the last six, seven holes, uh, whereas, you know, it looked, it looked fairly comfortable for Bryson towards the back nine when he, when he did take the lead and, and as you say, Dust, uh, Tiger won by one shot from Dustin Kupka and Xander last year. Uh, Reed beat Fowler by one stroke. You know, Sergio beat Justin in the playoff. Danny Willett came from off the back of Spieth struggling. I think the, that year before where Spieth sort of ran away with it and got the 18 underscore, that was kind of maybe the closest to it being a bit dull. But I think that the one thing is, one, this you'll never have a Masters like this ever again, regardless because of the, the change of season and change of weather. So it doesn't matter what Bryson really does. Um but they can't change it based on what he might do. They can change it in April if he does completely tear it apart because you've seen it's always been a proofing. Like when Tiger's done something, they then had to react. When Bubba's done something, they they chucked a tee in at Augusta, a uh, tree that wasn't there before, and things like that. So they have they may because it's uh, you know a six month gap between the two. They may react differently in April. But I just think if he if he tries to overpower it in November and um, you know, say he finishes 20th or 18th or something, a respectable finish. I just think he'll improve in that in April because I just think that he's the type of person who just learn from not only mistakes, but just he'll just go, right, okay, well, I'll mark that down for next time and, and I'll do it better. And that's why you see, you know, I, think, I can't remember what the statistic is, but it's a certain amount of starts you need at Augusta before you really win, unless your name is sort of Jordan Spieth. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it is a place that would prove that if he does something that they feel is sort of, unacceptable to them I mean if he gets on the 13th and hits it if he can launch up over those trees and take it just short of the creek short of the green or something like just something like that I'm sure there'll all of a sudden be some a new tee and I think there is a new tee going in anyway but a new tee on there or higher trees that would not allow him to do that next time but he I know he's had some form there I think I think in the past I remember him just vaguely being in in contention maybe it was a Saturday and not not don't really remember him on a Sunday being there but let just let the course be. It's, you've got to. It's a. It's too soon from one event, one win, to all of a sudden start thinking, oh, he could just do this to it. it it's at the end of the day, it's still a human that's got to produce golf shot after golf shot, no matter if it's if he's raining in or taking it on. And if he takes it on and pulls it off, you just got to sit back and say, and he wins by. If he wins by a few, he's the best. He's the best player that week. And I don't think 
you can argue really many weeks unless there's a huge stroke of fortune here or there that the best player doesn't win and if he is to win I don't think it's a you need to start ripping up the the golf course and the and the rule book to try and try and proof a golf course on him it's it'll probably over over time it there'll be other players who who will catch him or just the nature of the game there's, there's too much competition at the top there that is he's not the standard he is doing things differently but he's not the standout player he's not he's not been world number one for three four years and he's purely dominating by such a long stretch it's it's just a lot of focus on him right now because it's 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 there's been a lot of talk about it a lot of hype around him and good and bad negative press and it's it's he's he's the big story i think he's the big draw at, at every event now and that's why he's talked about so much whereas actually just just let's just see how this goes it's it's fascinating i think it's fascinating to watch i'm intrigued every time he pegs it up to see how he's going to take on the course i can't wait to see how he tries to strategize his way around augusta national and it'll be fa- it'll be fascinating to watch yeah, absolutely. And you talk about the fact that he contended there one year. I mean, he, he was an amateur. He was in the top 10 after two rounds and then he, he faded away on a Saturday. He shot a 77. But that's what people forget. He just he was that good when he first came out and people have a short memory and just want to focus on the fact that, OK, well, he's ruining golf right now. If he goes and, as you say, he goes and wins by five in November, then you just take your hat off, applaud it. And instead of worrying about golf having to change, I think it's just the onus is just on the other players. It's just a, not adapt or die, but have a look at yourself and what you're doing okay well you can hit it as far as him so you need to learn how to to narrow your dispersion you need to to work on you know because the reason he's winning when he does win is because of his short game being the, the best it's you know best it can be um there's so much so many other factors in there um that the other guys just need to put the complete package together and, and stop trying to chase him just feel comfortable in your own game and that because that is the thing. He's the most comfortable person in his own skin, I think, on tour. Yes, I'd agree, agree totally with that. And I think that it's like when Dustin Johnson won that first playoff event, as we spoke, I think it was off air earlier, and he won by 12 shots. I mean, that's a huge margin of victory. It was very low score, and I know there was talk that courses are set up too easily. He's just won by 12 shots against the best players. <laughs> like, you've got to just say he's hands down the best player by a country mile that week. Everything he he put it, he seemed to put amazingly, which is often a the area that you'd always think that might let him down. Um, but it's not like he's shot 30 under. Now we need to start proofing the golf courses. The DJ can't shoot, can't beat everybody by 12. I think you, there are one-off moments and there are one-off weeks where players can be dominant. And um, I think there's a lot more talk around Bryson and a lot more on it than, than there would be from him. And it's just, if he's good enough to win by that, it's just that it's the same golf course for everybody that week. And I, especially there, I don't think it's everyone... That talks about it says how important approach players you got to leave the ball below the hole to have any chance and, and that's such a, a big factor in it that yes it's probably easier for a wedge than it is a seven iron to do that but it's still there's so many factors to playing well around there which is why it's it's the variance in winners that, that you do get and it inevitably the winner of Augusta tends to be one of the top few players in the world at, the, at that given time or one of the most informed players at the time and I think that's just a testament to a golf course that offers test every part of your game and offers so much risk and reward yeah that's it i think to summarize i think we we both agree that golf is in a great place nothing needs to to uh to majorly happen off the especially off the back of just that us open win i don't think you're suddenly going to go and hang your clubs up because you you feel like you can't compete anymore i don't think it's that drastic i don't think 
we need to to get upset about anything i think we just enjoy it separate if you don't like bryson the person separate that and just admire bryson the golfer um and and if you don't then then wait another week and and your favorite will win again you know it will flip flop you know rory will come back and, and win again at some point you know um there's so many people that will contend and it's just the case that i think at, at the masters you're going to get the worthy champion like you said it's not going to be a case of what well, he didn't deserve to win you never get that at the end of the week you never go well he didn't deserve to win he just he just bombed it and wedged it i just don't see it i think even though yes okay it's easy to hit a wedge in seven iron it's still a skill you still had to leave it in the right place when you even when you put it in the rough it's just just applaud it enjoy it and uh i think the whole point of this podcast for, for me and you i think was just to kind of to highlight the fact that maybe golf isn't really in a in dire straits at the moment yeah exactly yeah i totally agree with your summary there and it's uh it's not as it's not as as big an issue as people i, th- I think are trying to make it out to be um it's just been sort of over analyzed and really looked at without the big picture and a look back kind of people look back on history maybe in a way that isn't quite the same that to reality and i just think if the the course set at any given week you're going to get a variance of courses and as long as you have that you're going to get different different winners every week and that's how golf should be it's, it doesn't matter if Ches really wins events like he did last year who's very short compared to whether Bryson wins any given week the guy who plays the best is still going to come out on top I don't think you'll ever hear certainly professionals sort of going well that guy yeah, didn't deserve to, to win this week it's not fair that he's doing that every player's trying to improve themselves everyone's trying to look for that extra percent better in their game his has just been really highlighted and he's making big games quite quickly which you'll probably see a lot of players trying to follow in his footsteps in the in the near future i have i have plenty of faith in golf when when the mixture of of winners varies and the fact that the webb simpson and, and brendan top can go and win four or five events a year between them um hitting it 275 280 because they're so brilliant in all other aspects of the game and they're rewarded when the test suits and and they even even contend that golf courses that they shouldn't do, and that and that happens all the time as well. We've seen Zach Johnson win at Augusta and St Andrews, where he said he couldn't win either or because of weather and whatever. All the time that's still happening. I think golf's in a great place. So, Charlie, thank you for uh, giving me your time this evening, and uh, it was really good to talk to you through it. And uh, I think we've both got kind of the, the messages across that we wanted to, and I, I certainly look forward to chatting to you again soon. No, thanks very much for having me on, Tom. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.